thanks for your support, Jason. I appreciate yours and Carrie's support and your whole network. It's really been very beneficial to me and, and a whole lot of others. I encourage everyone to use your resources that you have. But thank, thanks, Jason. Welcome to this week's edition of Flashback Friday, your opportunity to get some good review by listening to episodes from the past that Jason has handpicked to help you today in the present and propel you into the future. Enjoy. Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Welcome to episode 1641640, and today we are going to have the founder of Judicial Watch and Freedom Watch, and also an interesting author, and uh, he is going to share some uh, some interesting insights into uh, what is going on in the world. Remember, this is a 10th episode show, episode 1640, and uh, that's when we talk about a topic of general interest, not specifically about investing, except in the intro portion, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment. So uh, fasten your seatbelts. I think this will be an interesting one for you and very important that we be aware of these issues. But first, a listener comment slash question. Hello, Jason. I watched your happy hour with Ken McElroy and George Gammon and enjoyed it very much. I'm based in Canada, and you briefly commented on Canadians uh, purchasing property in America Do you offer help in that regard? I'm a beginner investor and in the process of research and learning as much as I can. Any help would be appreciated with thanks, Madri. Madri, yes, of course, we love helping our Canadian friends to the great white north take off, eh? To the great white north. Is that, uh, I don't know, is that a song? It's not quite a song, but it's kind of cool. Rush did it and... Rush is the most talented band that ever walked the face of the earth. And uh, they're from Canada. So, hey, take off, eh? (laughs) They do a funny little sketch on that. But yes, we help Canadian investors all the time wanting to invest in the fantastic American real estate market. So reach out to us through jasonhartman.com and be sure you grab your free book at pandemicinvesting.com. Also, I want to mention that, uh, of course, I know many of you follow us on YouTube. We are on many other alternative platforms now. We fear censorship, as you should do. Censorship is getting really, really ugly. You know, 12 years ago when I was talking about this stuff, everybody looked at me like I was crazy. Jason, what are you talking about? Big tech companies, they won't censor you. No, come on, don't worry about that. They're not evil. They don't do anything wrong. Uh, 
And here we are. Once again, I saw things long before they occurred. Twelve years in advance, I was talking about this stuff, about big tech and the dangers of big tech and the possibility of censorship. And here we are. Yep, that's right. We are here. So speaking of which, with this big tech censorship, you've got to ask yourself, what, my friends, what? What are they afraid of? They are lobbying like crazy. Lobbying, code word for bribery and uh, undue, unjust influence. Tech giants are ramping up lobbying in the face of antitrust scrutiny. So the question I ask, what are they afraid of? And I'm about to give you an answer. Okay, enough of that sound effect. Here. Dun, dun. Okay, now we can tell you the answer. <laughs> what they are afraid of is competition and free speech. They don't like either of those things. Who wants competition and free speech when you can just have a monopoly and you can cancel free speech as part of the cancel culture? So, fake book spent almost $20 million on lobbying in uh, 2020, last year. Amazon, $18 million. Why would you need to do that if you're a, you know, a fair company that uh, operates, you know, in a free and fair marketplace? Alphabet, almost $8 million. And Apple, almost $7 million. Why do they need to spend that money on lobbyists? There's just no reason for that. And uh, it is just wrong, wrong, wrong. You, you know, we, we don't have a lobby like that, do we? No, we don't. Many of you have asked and many of you have been waiting for a orientation on our Empowered Investor Network. And we have that available for you now. We have a little web class on that tomorrow and on Sunday. Tomorrow being Thursday. I don't know when you're listening to this, <laughs> but Thursday and Sunday. And you can go and uh, register for that at jasonhartman.com slash empowered. That's jasonhartman.com slash empowered, because we want to help you become an empowered investor. And this is for people who want more control of their investments. You do not have to be a client of ours. You can be just a listener to the podcast, for example, and uh, join. Uh, but if you're a client, it's even better because we can help you even more. And uh, we have these fantastic monthly Zoom meetings, and we've done those on property management software tools, on asset protection, on estate planning, on uh, tax advantages for real estate investors, and so forth. And we'll have many more of those to come. You can go to jasonhartman.com slash empowered to join us for that. Which brings me to the next thing. David, one of our empowered investors, we have our sort of co core group in the inner circle, and, and we'd We'd like to invite you, and now we're opening it up. Uh, so he posted something that I thought was really interesting uh, just a few days ago. And he said, uh, David says, it's an amazing time to be alive. I saw this in Morning Brew and wanted to share it. And so it is a report on housing. It says, after ticking up 
0.7% in, in, in December, U.S. home sales in 2020 clocked in at the highest level in 14 years. So, you know, what what caused this? What's behind it? And I'm improvising a little bit here, just giving you some highlights, not going to read you the whole thing. But obviously, incredibly low, historically low, amazingly low borrowing costs. This mortgage, these mortgages are a huge, huge asset. And we have the lowest interest rates in 5,000 years. Yes, we do. So you should take advantage of that 30-year fixed rate mortgage that you won't pay off until 2051 as at just 2.77%. Uh, and it was at 3.6% a year ago. The lockdowns, okay? So the lockdowns with the virus, people are sick of being cooped up in an apartment with young kids. They want a bigger place. They want to move to the suburbs. They want to be where they have some freedom, some fresh air, and a home office, and a home gym, and they have room for all this stuff, okay? And the article says, here's the crazy part. Home sales could have been much higher if only there were more homes to sell. 1.07 million homes were on the market at the end of December, which is 23% fewer than a year ago, December of 2019. We've been talking about that for a long, long time, and that is definitely the case. The median price of an existing home was $309,000. Well, really $310,000, So $310,000 in December, that's 13% higher than a year earlier. And when you look closely, you'll see that the higher end of the market is doing most of the heavy lifting. That's because the people, by the way, this is my comment, the people with money are leaving those expensive cities and buying what is to them a less expensive home in these more suburban markets. Okay? It's incredible, folks. It's incredible. They, it's like going to a foreign country where the dollar is super strong and you feel rich just because of the exchange rate. This is the geo-arbitrage that is occurring all across America. And guess what? Following my plan, you investors are taking advantage of this. It's working in your favor. So sales of homes under $100,000 down. 15% annually. Now, why is that? There's nothing available. Those homes almost don't exist now. Whereas, uh, you know, 15 years ago, we had them. We had homes for $40,000, for $60,000. Nowadays, good luck finding those properties. They're, they're just so few and far between. There's almost nothing there. Uh, it's, it's, it's like the memory hole that the big tech companies are causing. They're making us forget history by censoring. And what's happening in the marketplace is there is a inventory hole where you just don't have this inventory. It just doesn't exist. How do you like my comparison, by the way? <laughs> it's, it's, that's, a, that's a bit of a leap in a comparison, but, uh, you know, it's sort of a non sequitur a little bit, right? It's, it's like an opera singer with a chainsaw. You know, it doesn't make sense. No one expects that. <laughs> so it's it, the memory hole being caused by the big tech companies and the social media companies canceling people and censoring things is like the missing inventory below $100,000 that doesn't exist. It's almost, it's just gone. You know, poof, 
revised history. It's not there anymore. Okay, so five hundred to seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars sales were up sixty five percent. Wow, and over a million dollars up ninety four percent. That is absolutely amazing. What these numbers show now, of course, this is an opinion by the article writer, but you know, what do you think? It says, if you made it through the pandemic unscathed, like many of the higher income brackets did, you tried to level up your crib, <laughs> your crib, <laughs> your home. And uh, definitely true. You know, these people in New York City, for example, they moved out to the Hamptons. People in San Francisco, they scattered a little bit. And my prediction is, this is not a new prediction. I've been predicting it for several months now. My prediction is there is going to be a second set of moves coming. So get ready. First, it's going to be the move that keeps them in proximity to that urban core where they had those high paying jobs and made all that money. And then they moved away from it a little bit. And then there's going to be another move when the realization sets in that, hey, we don't even need to live within two hours of the city. We can live uh, a plane ride away. It doesn't matter where we live anymore. We are geo-independent and our employer is okay with it and our clients are okay with it and our, our business runs just fine with it and we can just live anywhere, which changes the game for real estate as I predicted back in 2012 but back then I was not talking about a pandemic and I was not talking, well, I was talking about technology like Skype and so forth, but not as much. I was mostly referring to autonomous vehicles. Self-driving cars change the game for real estate value drivers. And this is changing it and accelerating it dramatically even, even more. For example, I am looking at a chart and it talks about rural life desire rises in 2020. Okay, so percentage of U.S. adults who said they'd prefer to live in a small town or a rural area like where my family's from, upstate New York, right? So 2018, 39% of people said this. But in 2020, 48% of people. Now, it's interesting how it breaks down along gender lines, age lines, and racial lines. But we don't have time to go into all that because it's kind of complicated. But uh, maybe I'll just give you a highlight from it. So... The older people are, the more likely they are to be to think this is a good idea. For example, 55 and older, 44% said yes, they'd consider moving to a small town or a rural area in 2018, 44%. But now 52% of those people, 55 plus, say that. And white people, more likely than non-whites. So the comparison there is interesting. It says 45% in 2018, two years later, 52%, which is mirrors the statistic above almost exactly. But non-white, only 27% in 2018, but 39%, see that number's up quite a bit too, in 2020. So everybody wants to move out to Green Acres is the life for me, farm living, or wait, is that how it goes? Anyway, <laughs> let's find the clip. 
from the intro to Green Acres and play it now. And then we will get to our guest and we will talk about Judicial Watch and Freedom Watch. Be sure to join us for the webinar Thursday and Sunday, jasonhartman.com slash empowered. We'll see you there. And here is our guest. It is my pleasure to welcome Larry Clayman to the show. He is the founder of Judicial Watch and Freedom Watch and a former U.S. Justice Department prosecutor, a best-selling author of Whores, Why and How I Came to Fight the Establishment, and the new book, It Takes a Revolution, Forget About the Scandal Industry. Larry, welcome. How are you? Thank you, Jason. It's my pleasure. It's good to have you. Good to have you. And I, I was happy to find out that we are neighbors. We're both nearby each other in Florida. So that's fantastic. Right. That's well, so, Florida. Yeah. First off, um, maybe before we start, how did you get involved? You know, how, how old? I know you're not with Judicial Watch anymore. Freedom Watch is your focus. How long ago did you found Judicial Watch and how did that come about? I founded Judicial Watch on July 29th, 1994. And it was the result. I talk about it in my book, Horrors, Why and How I Came to Fight the Establishment, which you can still buy on Amazon.com and, and elsewhere. It came out in 2009 because I'd seen that the legal profession had grown very corrupt. And I, judges that I had appeared in front of were making decisions not on the merits, but on who you were, or politics. And that's where the name Judicial Watch came from. And then we decided to use the judges to try to watch the other two branches of government and to enforce the rule of law. When I ran Judicial Watch, we did more than what Judicial Watch generally does today, because I'm a trial lawyer now of 43 years. In fact, uh, last week on December 7th, Pearl Harbor Day, that was the day I was inducted into the Florida Bar. And we brought hard-hitting cases. And uh, when I left to run for the Senate in Florida, and I didn't win in 2003, uh, I formed Freedom Watch. So Freedom Watch does a lot today of what I used to do at Judicial Watch. And this book that I wrote, uh, it takes a revolution, forget the scandal industries, to take off on Hillary Clinton's, it takes a village. We're saying we don't want a socialist collective in our government. We want village people to wage a new revolution. Is that I've seen that it's, gone, it's gotten much more corrupt even since 1994, you know, 26 years ago. I, I couldn't agree more. And our country is hanging by a thread. And this book was inside me, and I wrote it. I wrote it uh, at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, and I hope people will get it. You can get it at freedomwatchusa.org with a contribution of $50 or more. We'll send it to you for free or on amazon.com or barnesandnoble.com or the major booksellers. And it really is what I believe in. I believe we're hanging by a thread right now, and we need to wage a second American peaceful and legal revolution quickly before we lose everything. Yeah, the world is changing so fast. The country just feels like it's falling apart. Thankfully, uh, America is such a robust country that it takes an awful long time to destroy it. But I, I, I do agree that you know we're, we're not moving in the right direction in, in many ways. So when you talk about revolution and, and a legal revolution specifically, what type of revolution are you talking about? Uh, I mean, give us some of the... The book is dedicated. You can see the cover of the book. You've got uh, Thomas Jefferson overlooking Independence Hall, mm -hmm. my birthplace of Philadelphia, with Supreme Court justices sitting there. Of course, they just sold out the president of the United States for their own interest just a few days ago. And Jefferson believed 
that federal judges in Article Three, he was opposed to Article Three with regard to federal judges, that because they were unelected and believing that they were there for life, that they would become despots and tyrants. And that ultimately, every 20 years or so, we would again have to shed the blood of patriots. And he said, what's a few thousand dead to refresh the tree of liberty? Now, he didn't want to see violence, and neither do I. But he predicted that our so-called protectors would become just as corrupt as the other two branches of government, yet unaccountable, because the other two branches can be removed at the ballot box. And that was his greatest fear. And so this book is chronicles you know, my fighting in the trenches of the executive branch, the deep state on both sides for my career, uh, my dealings with Congress, which are a bunch of court jesters, clowns and criminals that stuffing money into their pockets, accomplishing little to nothing. And of course, the federal judiciary in particular, which has become so corrupt and compromised, they're bought and paid for just like the judges of King George III, the yes men and yes women. And that's the problem. And I go through that and I tell the American people, this is what we face. We have no democracy left. We have no government that represents we the people. And we can certainly see that just in the last month or so since the November 3rd elections with the massive fraud and the inability of the government to address that massive fraud. Yeah, I, I would agree. So when you when you talk about the appointed judges, are you are, are you talking about the Supreme Court or any federal judge? Because in state court, when the judges are elected, I mean, there's all kinds of problems with that, too. You know, they're pandering that the law firms that, you know, try cases in front of them, donate to their campaign. And, and that's a whole corrupt thing in a in a different way. So can you address you're, that? You're right, Jason. You know, I'm, I tend to want to fight, file more cases in state court these days, particularly in Florida, which is a trial lawyer state, because I tend to be the plaintiff. I'm trying to make change. So I'm bringing cases. But yeah, they can pander too. If they have a, a plaintiff, excuse me, if they have parties that they think they can get them ahead, maybe with an employment to the federal bench, they'll bend over backwards for that. Okay, I've seen it, and I've seen it recently, as a matter of fact. But the worst thing is to have judges who are unaccountable to the people that feel that they're above the law and can do whatever they want based on their personal predilections, politics, and biases and prejudices. So federal judges are the absolute worst, and they think they're God, and they think that they can do no wrong, and you can't question them. And so I go through in the book, the Federal Judicial Hall of Shame, the 10 worst judges I have appeared in front of, and then I point out that the Trump judges are a little better than the Obama and Clinton judges. They lack courage. How do you get to be a judge? you know, in the federal system. Money talks and nobody walks. It's political campaign contributions. It's just one example. A judge in Rhode Island who was nominated, put up for nomination by Sheldon Whitehouse. You saw him during the confirmation hearings of Amy Comey Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh. A judge paid half a million dollars in campaign contributions to get his job on the federal bench. Another judge in Washington, D.C., Randolph Moss, that I talk about in the book, $38,000 to get his judgeship. And he comes from Wilmer Hale, the law firm of Mueller. They bundled more money to get him on the bench, and they got a, a Trump judge on the bench, Dabney Friedrich. So what you have on the bench are yes men and women who are not doing the bidding of the American people. When you get into these kinds of cases that deal with politics and government, they're feathering the nest of those who put them on the bench. And that's why you can gauge with almost exact certainty how they're going to rule based on who appointed them. 
Mm-hmm. I don't want to dwell on this topic any more than just one question, if I may. So the, the counter argument to that would be, you know, the founders said, for example, in the Supreme Court, let's make them lifetime appointments. Let's make it, you know, uh, uh, appointments, not elections, not, you know, so it's not political. They're not influenced by that. And it's interesting that you're saying the opposite. So I, I just maybe want you to just. You know, the, the founders were enlightened by God, but they weren't God. Right. <laughs> Good they, answer. They, they made a few mistakes, and that was one of them. They didn't right. realize what was going to happen. And, and Jefferson is the only one who, who predicted what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the problem. And besides, if you go back and look at the Constitution, there's nothing in there that gives them life tenure. It says they shall serve for good behavior. Mm, yeah. Congress, if it wanted to, could say, well, for instance, two five-year terms, renewable for good behavior. You know how many yeah. judges we have impeached in 244 years? Not many. Eight. Eight. Okay. Eight. Eight. Wow. And one of the last ones was Alice Hastings down there in Miami for taking bribes. And what happened after that? He ran for Congress, won, and has been there ever since. He said it was a conspiracy by white people in Congress to impeach him. Right. So he's been there ever oh, since. Yeah. You know, this is, you can't remove them. I mean, they're like cockroaches. Right. They'll yeah. survive a nuclear attack. Yeah, so we have to find some way to get people on the bench. But here's my suggestion. Yeah. You asked me, how do you wage a peaceful and legal revolution? Right, and that's that was going to be, let's get back to that, sure. I'm not sure we can, but we're going to try. And mm-hmm. I don't advocate violence. But in 1992, Justice Scalia wrote an opinion, United States versus Williams, where he found that the grand jury belongs to the American people, not to the three branches of government. Last fall... I commissioned a citizen's grand jury. I did it before in Ocala, Florida, a while back with regard to Hillary Clinton and Obama. And we indicted Mueller for suborning perjury, attempting to suborn perjury and obstructing justice with my client, Dr. Jerome Corsi. Who oh, I've had, I've had Jerry Corsi on the show several times. Yeah. Right. And, you know, we've pushed back on Mueller. We sued him. We, we filed a criminal complaint. And Jerry was not indicted. He was telling the truth. Roger Stone was indicted, convicted on seven felony counts. But we indicted Mueller for that because that's illegal. We have the right to indict. We have a right to try the citizens of the United States. We have the right to sentence. And we even have a right to carry out citizens' arrests. Even the state of California, the most leftist of the 50 states, has a statute which allows for citizens to make arrests if they know of someone committing a felony. Mm-hmm. I'm carrying it out to another story, but we're educating the American people that we need to take our legal system back because what we've got right now are politicians in robes. And we can see the president's own judges at the lower court level and the Supreme Court stabbed him in the back like Brutus. They looked out for their own interests in the Washington swamp rather than protecting the president and the American people. Mm-hmm. We have no protection. Now, if that doesn't work, Jason, and the other suggestions I don't make, it's not going to be yours truly that advocates violent revolution, but others will in this country. And we're at that point right now. People are fed up, particularly what we see with state governors and restrictions on their constitutional rights. Sure. You know, it, it could get really nasty. Right. If someone listening or watching loves or hates Trump, I don't care. What you should be concerned about is is how incredibly difficult it is to drain the swamp. I mean, he just has 
everything against him. It is absolutely a monumental task. And, you know, then you look outside of the system, if you will, and you look at the social media companies, the rest of the mainstream media, and it's it's just unbelievable, the forces against this president. It's, it's absolutely staggering. Well, that's right. And it's not a question of Trump. He, he was never the political messiah, okay? He did great things when he was president. This government is going to be taken over by socialists and communists full time. He's already got several in there already. Sure. Process people are burrowing in as we speak. And this country will be like a Soviet gulag and we will lose all of our liberties and we need to do it now before it's too late. Well, I, I would agree with you. So uh, looking at the table of contents of, of your book, uh, you talked about the federal judges. Uh, talk a little bit about tyranny at the other branches, the executive branch, the legislative branch. You mentioned it, but, you know, just dive into that a little deeper, if you My would. My book, it takes the revolution. I'll bug it a little bit here because I really want people to read it. And read the Declaration of Independence before you read that. Okay, it goes hand in hand. But the deep state, okay, not just what I've experienced, you know, in all the years that I've been fighting it. But I'm starting with the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Most people believe that the CIA was responsible for that, you know, because we still don't have an answer after all these years. And then you get into the, the, the uh, Gulf of Tonkin. You know, I'm just giving a few examples where Lyndon Johnson lied to the American people that we were attacked by the North Vietnamese to get us into a war that cost us 56,000 lives and hundreds of thousands maimed. I almost went the last year that I would have been drafted. Nixon ended the draft. Then you get into the, the Iraqi war with George W. Bush, where we were lied to about weapons of mass destruction. Uh, you've got 80 people dying during the Clinton administration, all just happenstance. Yeah. And, yeah. and after, maybe very recently, I'm speaking of Epstein, of course, our, our somewhat neighbor. And, you know, you don't want to be friends with the Clintons. That's a dangerous activity. <laughs> well, that's right. So I guess through that, and I chronicle, and, and just recently, the COVID-19, okay, you got to believe that our intelligence agencies knew that this, this virus was released. Either they kept it from President Trump or the fact that I have a client, Judy Mike, this work with Fauci, for Dietrich. That's where we study viruses and try to combat bioweapons. Of course, we also create them, which is illegal. Uh, and one escaped after 9-11. It was the anthrax from our own lab. But Fauci actually sent that COVID-19, the seeds of it, the SARS virus, over to the Wuhan lab. Obama administration appropriated $3.7 million to have the Chinese do research on it because we couldn't do it here legally and ethically. We created the seeds of our own destruction. Which, which is what we do uh, often with these uh, little tin pot dictators that we support now and then, and then they turn into our enemy years later, you know? Right, and why is it that Larry Klayman and Freedom Watch that we had to bring a class action in Dallas, Texas for all the damage the Chinese have done? And in Jerusalem, Israel, we brought another one there. We fought a criminal complaint in The Hague. Of course, the Europeans do nothing about that. But why did I have to do that? And, and this was a constructive criticism of President Trump. Why didn't you freeze the assets? Why are we having to pay for the vaccines? Why don't we, we recuperate the damage caused by China by making them pay for it? The president was going to make Mexico pay for the wall because I think he knows that we actually, although we never intended to have China turn it into a bioweapon, he knows that we actually played some role in that. So this is the deep state. And of course, the NSA, the mass surveillance, which I got two preliminary injunctions after Snowden revealed that. 
Uh, I had a judge who wouldn't let the case go forward after I got the preliminary injunctions and got to him. So that's a deep state. And then look at Congress. Look at, you know, Obamacare, let's pass it so we know what's in it. I mean, you can go on and on. These guys are a bunch of clowns in court yet. They accomplish nothing. They hold hearings. They get on Fox News or MSNBC. They raise money. They get reelected. You know, they take bribes. Look at look at Biden. Forty seven years in the Senate. He's a multimillionaire. How does that happen on a senator's salary? Now we know. Well, look, look at Bernie Sanders, too. You know, it's it's amazing. They they come in and they they make a, a very modest salary and somehow they just get rich. It's just a magical thing that happens when you're when you're in Congress, you know. <laughs> and Richard Burr, okay, head of the Intelligence Committee. I wanted to take a whistleblower to over this mass surveillance. Wouldn't listen. He sold millions of dollars of stock with obvious knowledge of COVID-19 before the American people knew he dumped it. Now, what happened? You don't go against the elite. He gets off scot-free. So did Dianne Feinstein do the same thing. And another senator whose name I forget. So these are the crooks in Congress. And then they've got the judges who are compromised and corrupt when it comes to these cases and will not enforce the rule of law. And then, of course, our Department of Injustice, I was once a proud alumnus, who is compromised as well. They do nothing. The, the rich and the powerful get off scot-free. The rest of us, we can burn at the stake. Yeah. And and the rich are getting so much richer in our winner-take-all society. You know, we, we've been losing the middle class for, for decades now, and it just keeps getting worse. And, and you know, maybe uh, I'd like to ask you a little bit about your thoughts on antitrust. It seems that over the past several decades, there's just been so little appetite by the DOJ or, or anybody else to do any antitrust stuff. And you look at you look at a company like Alphabet, Google, that controls like 90% of US search traffic. I, I, it's absolutely insane that any company should be able to shape the thoughts of, of, of the public that way. And, and you know, Facebook and all the others, finally something is happening. You see these 46 states, there's a new lawsuit against Google and Facebook for colluding uh, uh, with uh, fixing advertising uh, fees and so forth. But it, it's just absolutely incredible that we've got these giant monopolistic companies. I, I mean, what happened you're to you're the antitrust laws? And let me put it in context of my book, It Takes a Revolution. I talk about that because two years ago, I brought an antitrust case for myself, for Freedom Watch, myself and Freedom Watch, and Laura Loomer, you know, who lives down near us yeah. in Long Beach. She just ran for Congress because she's been banned. And that's very similar to what the Justice Department just brought, okay? But a Trump judge, Trevor McFadden, a complete hack, okay, in the U.S. District Court in the District of Columbia dismissed the case. It's not plausible. I don't think this is really happening. He bent over for these social media companies. And I've got it up on appeal. It's going to the Supreme Court. But I'm going to file a new case. But I'm an antitrust lawyer. I helped break up AT&T when I was a young lawyer at the oh. Justice Department. I know what I'm doing here. And it was a viable case. Now, just ask yourself this question. Why did Blowhard Bill Barr, I call him Blowhard Bill, why did he bring a case after the president lost? Why didn't he bring it much sooner? Because maybe if he had brought such a case, maybe they would have played it a little bit straighter. Maybe the president wouldn't have been as destroyed and the rest of us conservatives, libertarians, and people of faith trashed and discriminated against. So that tells you something, okay? Is it, Barr was part of that establishment. He's part of the crowd. And the president was way too kind when he praised him on the way out the door the other day. This guy is a hack, 
and he's, he, he, uh, he didn't indict Comey, he didn't indict Clapper, he didn't indict Brennan, Thomas, Prince. We're going to do that in the Citizens Grand Juries right after the new year. And I hope people will, will join us with that. Uh, so they can go to freedomwatchusa.org and I explain the history of that in the book, It Takes a Revolution, Forget the Scandal Industry, get at Amazon.com. Yeah. Anything else you'd like uh, to share as we wrap it up, uh, Larry? Jason, we really need people like you. The subtitle, Forget the Scandal Industry, turn off Fox News. You can see they also stabbed the president in the back. And it's not just that. It's that they give false hope every night in the Hannity, major breaking development, justice just around the corner. Here's Greg Jarrett. Here's Sarah Carter. You know, they lure people back to make money and bring in advertising dollars. We need the truth. And the only way you're going to get the truth is with people like yourself and me. I have a radio show, too. I have a podcast every morning, Special Prosecutor Larry Clayman. You know, we need to, to be like the underground during World War II with the Nazis, right? Um, and the last thought, Jason, think of this. The Declaration of Independence, when in the course of human events, the sovereign ceases to represent we the people. Pursuant to the laws of nature and nature's God, we have a right to alter or abolish our form of government and to form a new government by and for the people, I'm paraphrasing, in the pursuit of life, liberty, and, and happiness. The, now, you know, those are amazing words and they give me goosebumps. Yeah, it's the most beautiful document ever written, I mean, sort of the Bible. Well, and the uh, Bill of Rights, you know, I would say. Bill of Rights. Now, what happened in World War II when France was taken over by the Nazis? We're about to be taken over by the socialists and the communists. De Gaulle left and he formed an alternative government in London, and he was the true French government. Suppose the American people said, I've had it. I don't recognize this government anymore. It's not a government for us, by the people. Suppose we took it back to my birthplace of Philadelphia in Independence Hall, and we said, okay, now... We're going to have a Continental Congress. We're going to elect a president. The president can then appoint cabinet members. We'll elect a legislature. We'll have the Supreme Court right there. We have the right to do that. And I think we're getting to that point where if my measures that I suggest and it takes a revolution don't work, I think we've got to form our own government by and for the people. If they don't like it, let them come and get us. We have a Second Amendment right. What about secession movements? Uh, what do you make of those? Well, that is an effective succession. What you're saying is that I would do it nationally, not just piecemeal. We're saying we don't recognize this government and we're going to form our own. It doesn't mean we're going to be lunatics and despots yeah. and, and, and tyrants. It means that we're going to form a new government. And what I've been saying is, metaphorically, let the criminals stay in Washington, the deep state, the legislature, the, the judges. Let them commit crimes against each other. Okay? Have mm -hmm. Go ahead, guys, because we don't recognize you anymore. You don't represent us. And we've seen that now with the Supreme Court's ruling this week uh, or late last week, late last Friday, we now see that we have no protectors of the American people. We're left completely defensive. So it's time for us to rise up. And God is with us if we help ourselves. I believe that. And we have to do it for ourselves right now or we'll lose this country. Larry, the website is uh, freedomwatchusa.org. Is that correct? That's correct. And I also formed a new group, Jason, called America's Sheriff, with Sheriff Joe Arpaio to protect the uh -huh. he, He's coming up on the show next week. So right, well, he's a great man. He's yeah. a great man. He's my friend and my client. And we were the ones that helped kill the five million illegal amnesty, you know, for the aliens way back when. But uh, America's Sheriff.org and Sheriff Joe Arpaio, America's toughest 
sheriff and I like to think of myself as America's toughest lawyer. So you can go and see what we're doing over there. We need the help there too. Good stuff. Well, Larry Clayman, keep up the good work and thank you for doing what you do. You too, Jason. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, hartmanmedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own. And if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. And we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.